I want to just give you an opportunity this morning to just thank the Lord for Jesus. And I also want you this morning as we are about to get into the message, I want you to just wrestle with the question. Is Jesus your Messiah? He came to pay the ransom for us as sinners. But you personally have to make him your Messiah, your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer. My question for you this morning is, have you done that? If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, then I'm going to, as we, as we talk this morning, I, I want you right now in this moment just to ask God, would you reveal to me today what I need to do? And for those of us in here this morning that, that we've given our life to Christ, then let's just appreciate Jesus, that he paid your ransom paid my sin debt paid your sin debt we come to you this morning Lord and we thank you for salvation we thank you for the cross we thank you for the Messiah we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Lord I ask this morning that as we open up your word Lord that if there's someone in here that has never surrendered their life to you that you would reveal yourself to them that you would call them to salvation and that today would be the day that they give their life to you Lord I also pray this morning as we open up your word that if there's sin in our life if there's sin in my life Lord that you would reveal that to us and Lord as you reveal to us that we would respond to you so God, as we sit in the moment and we, we hear your word, may we hear from you today. May we respond to you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated this morning. Again, we're glad that you chose to uh, worship with us uh, today. And uh, hopefully everyone that's here is... Uh, on the other side of the sickness that's going around everywhere. How many of you have uh, had some form of the flu or some sickness going through your house and through your family, right? So we, uh, I uh, had committed that I wasn't going to, uh, to sing this morning because my voice is still kind of weak. Uh, but I couldn't help myself. And I, went, I already went through all the mints I had in my pocket and the whole bottle of water. So uh, it may be really short. No, it won't. I'm not going to say that. This morning we're going to start a new mini-series, and uh, we're going to read a little bit from this book. I'm a church member. I think a few years ago, Hallmark went uh, through this book, and so I'd encourage you, you might have it on your shelf at home, get it out and read through it again. Uh, but we're going to talk, again, for two weeks about this idea of being a church member. What does it mean uh, to be a church member? And I think there's two words or two ways I want us to kind of look through it this morning, and I want you to maybe have an opportunity today to do a little self-evaluation about what kind of a church member are you? And maybe also, what kind of a church member do you want to be? And there, there could be a, a big list, I'm sure, of different types of church members, but for the sake of time and maybe for the sake of clarity this morning, we're just going to look at, at two of those types of church members. And the first one, and we're not going to spend a lot of time developing this, but we're going to get into, into some scripture, but the idea of a consumer... Christian or a consumer church member. 
And the reality is, here in the Metroplex, here in Fort Worth, it's, it would be very easy to be a consumer church member. Because the reality is, if there's something uh, at this church you don't like, or something that we don't have, chances are you passed five other churches this morning that may have that thing you like or don't like, right? Because uh, it, I haven't looked at a recent study, but at least about eight, nine years ago, uh, I saw a study from the Southern Baptist in this area that there were over 22 Southern Baptist churches within about a two-mile radius of this church. Okay, so there's plenty of churches to choose from, right? And, and how many of you probably passed more than 10 churches, you're just guessing, you may have counted them all, more than 10 churches on your way here this morning, all right? So just put your hand up, look around, a lot of us passed a lot of churches this morning. So this idea of being, and, and also when you think of our culture, we, a, we are a consumer-driven culture, right? And, and I, I can remember, so this is going to blow some of the minds of our younger people in here this morning. I remember growing up, and I hated McDonald's. Anybody still hate McDonald's? But, but, but it wasn't just because it was a McDonald's. It was because McDonald's, when I was a kid, you couldn't have it your way. You guys remember those days? Like, you're going to get the, the, the hamburger, and it may or may not have cheese on it, and it's going to have ketchup, mustard, pickle, and onion. And I hate ketchup. Can I get an amen from anyone this morning? All right. I love mustard. All right. And I hate onions. I'm, I don't care if you agree with me or not. That's not going to change your mind. And, and so I get the burger, and what's it going to have on it? Two of those things. I didn't like pickles. I, I like pickles now. And, and, and so I think, man, this is no good, right? So believe it or not, McDonald's, you used to not have it your way. I, I'm thankful that you can have it your way now, right? And I don't know if you guys know, but most of the time, if I go to a fast food place and get a burger, I always order it without something, just so there's a better chance of getting it fresh, okay? So just, that's my little tip for you today, all right? I, I worked in fast food, all right? I, very, very rarely did I unpackage a burger and take something off of it, all right? I didn't say never, very rarely. Y'all are judging me so hard right now. Like, I just see hatred in your eyes. So consumer, church member. The other one I want to think about is a committed church member. And the difference between a consumer church member and a committed church member, a consumer church member would ask this question, what can church do for me? In and of itself, it doesn't seem like a bad question, right? But a consumer church member, the question is, what can, I, what can church do for me? A committed church member would ask the question, what can I do for the church? doesn't seem like a big difference, but the truth is, it's a big difference. Another thought, statement, a consumer church member would say, church is about me. And that one may be a little more difficult for us to verbalize, but maybe we, we practically live that out, right? A consumer, church is about me. A committed church member would say, church is about them. It's for them. It's not for me, it's for them. And for them is for them right? That's deep Greek for them, right? Them, okay? Now, let me read just a little uh, portion out of this book that kind of highlights, I think, for us this morning the, two dif the difference between the two. 
So there's a couple that it's talking about here, and I'm gonna get all, I won't read the whole story, but uh, they went to church together, they served together, they were in life for a small group together. In fact, uh, the way it tells here is that it was just two couples that would meet, read through the Bible, and pray, have dinner, or whatever. So in the process of time, one of them named Liam says this. Now, I'm just going to read the rest of the story. Liam didn't take long to get to the point, so they're eating, and he says, Michael, Lena and I have decided to leave the church. The pause seemed to last for minutes. Neither of the men seemed to know who should speak next. Michael took the initiative and spoke softly but deliberately. He said, you want to tell me about it? He honestly didn't know if Liam wanted to say any more about it. His friend seemed resolute. Nevertheless, Liam began to explain his feelings and his decision. Lana and I went to church to learn deep truths about the Bible, Liam offered. But Pastor Robert is just not feeding us. We're not getting anything out of his messages. Sitting in the service on Sunday morning is just a waste of our time. Michael didn't respond. He could tell Liam had more to say. And so Liam goes on. There's several great people in the church. You and Karen are the best. There are a few more like you. But, honestly, Michael, our church is full of hypocrites. Anybody ever heard that before, right? (laughs) Let's take a vote real quick. How many of you would agree with the statement, in the church, there are hypocrites? Raise your hand, (laughs) right? Now, how many of you would say, at some point in your life, you have been said hypocrite? All right, so we would all have to agree with that, right? Now, I won't read the rest of it. Let Let me get to the next part. It seemed as if Liam's mild rant was winding down, and he seemed exhausted. He was ready to bring the conversation to a close. He did, however, offer a few pointed comments and two insightful questions. Michael, he said softly, I really like you and Karen and your kids. All of you are great. That's a setup, right? You know how that goes. He he pauses. You seem enthused about the church. You keep serving, you keep contributing. Now don't take me wrong, but I wonder at times if you and your family are blind to all the problems in the church. Then he, he makes this statement. We are really two different types of church members. Why is that? Why do we have such different perspectives? And I would say that the reason they had different perspectives was because they had a different mentality about what church was for. One was a consumer church member. One was a committed church member. Now, let me read a a little definition maybe or the thinking process of a um, consumer-minded church member. Membership is about receiving instead of giving. It's about being served instead of serving. It's rights instead of responsibilities, entitlement instead of sacrifices. This wrongful wrongful view of membership sees the tithes and offerings as membership dues that entitle members to do never-ending list of privileges and expectations instead of an unconditional, cheerful gift to God. And so as we walk through this outline this morning, I encourage you, if you you have your bulletin, get your bulletin out this morning, 
follow along, take notes, and as I always would encourage you every week, go home and look up the scriptures. We're going to go through a lot of scripture pretty quickly here this morning, and so I would encourage you to write them down if they're not in the bulletin here, and, and follow along if you can, and spend some more time this week looking at it. All right, so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to turn to Ephesians, all right, and we're going to uh, if you don't have your Bible, or if you maybe have your phone, you can look up on uh, the YouVersion Bible app under events. You can look for Hallmark Baptist Church or search there, and it'll be in there. You can follow along. The notes from the bulletin are on there. And you can also follow along on the screen as most of our verses will be up there. And what we're going to look at from these first couple of verses is the thought of who's the authority or who's the head of the church. Okay, and I think that sometimes if we change our perspective and, and realize biblically who the head of the church is, it will help us become a committed Christian or a committed church member, not a consumer-minded church member. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things, so he is referring to God, all right, God the Father. And God the Father put all things under his feet. His referencing who? Jesus. All right? So God the Father put all things under God the Son, Jesus, His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. So, real simple question this morning. Who is the head of the church? Jesus. Not your pastor, not their staff, not the deacons, not the trustees, right? So, this will help us all have a committed-minded church member attitude because who are we actually serving? Who's the actual authority of Hallmark Baptist Church? Jesus is, all right? Let's continue. So turn probably one page over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Now, therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. And so he's, who's he referencing here? Who's Paul talking to? He's talking to believers. So if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, then he's referencing you. You are not a stranger. You're not a foreign, foreigner, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. That's awesome. If you've given your life to Christ, you belong to the family of God. Can I get an amen for that? God is your Father. So we're no longer strangers. We're no longer uh, foreigners. We are citizens. We are members of the family of God. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief what? Cornerstone. Again, who has the authority of the church? Jesus. Who is the chief cornerstone of the church? Jesus, in, in whom the building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Jesus is the head of the church. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, who is going to build the church? Do the church people build the church? Does the pastor build the church? Does the staff build the church? Do the deacons build the church? Let's, before you answer, turn to Matthew 16. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he, 
asked them, well, who, who are people saying that I am? Who do people think I am? Oh, Moses and Elijah. And then as Jesus has a way of getting a little appointed, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are a Christ, the son of the living God. That's a good answer, Peter, right? Great answer. So that's the context of where we're going to read here. Ephesians, excuse me, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse number 17. Jesus answered and said to him, again, so he's asked the question, Peter, who do you say that I am? You are, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus answered unto him, Blessed are you, son, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now look on the screen here. It says what, Peter is, what Jesus is saying to Peter in verse number 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So again, the question was, is it the pastor, is it the staff, is it the people that build the church? What does Jesus say? Who's going to build the church? He will. Jesus will build whose church? His church. Jesus is the authority of this church. And who has the responsibility to build his church? It's easy. Jesus. You guys didn't want to answer that, right? Jesus will build his church. Well, let's see how that plays out. Acts chapter number 2. Look at Acts chapter number 2, all right? So Jesus is going to build his church, and so... I guess then we as church members don't have to do anything, right? Because Jesus is responsible. It's his church, his authority, he's going to build it. So we sit back and wait for people to come, right? Like that's how you would do business, right? Just wait, just hope. Excuse me. Acts chapter 2. And so in the context of Acts chapter 2, here's the, the day of Pentecost, remember? Jesus has told the disciples before his ascension, go back, wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then you'll be witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter number 2, what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and Peter begins to preach. And so at verse 40 is kind of the conclusion of his message. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Who is them? The church. About 3,000 souls were added to the church. Peter preached. So was there uh, some responsibility of the believers to tell people about Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Yes. They preached the responsibility we as believers, not just me as the pastor, our responsibility is to what? Be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth because you as a believer have been powered by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? This is going to blow your mind. You have just as much of the Holy Spirit as I do if you're a believer. Do you agree with that? Do you have just as much responsibility to tell your neighbor, your coworker, your friend at school, the person on your, your volleyball team or whatever it is, do you have a responsibility to tell them about Jesus? Yes. And I'll ask for you, do I have the same responsibility? Yes. Let's continue reading. 
Verse 42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of the bread and in prayers. And you see the function and the role of the church. We're supposed to be studying. We're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be in unity. We're supposed to be in fellowship. And as we are studying God's word and as we are in fellowship and unity in prayer, well, let's see what's going to happen. Where I'm at. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done to the apostles. Now all who believed were together they were in unity and, all had, and had all things in common. They sold the possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking the bread and house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. Do, do you see how it's a picture of how the church is supposed to function together? In unity, in prayer, in study, in fellowship, together, in unity, in prayer, in study, in fellowship. And it says there, in favor with God. It was pleasing to God. And what is God going to do? What did God do? Look at the last part of that verse. Let's read all of verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The church was faithful to do what God called them to do and to proclaim and to study and to preach and to teach and to be in unity and fellowship. And what did God do as a result of what they did? He added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you, do you realize how awesome it is that me as a believer gets to partner with Jesus, the head of the church? Does Jesus need me to tell people about him, yes or no? Trick question. I knew you wouldn't answer that out loud. Does Jesus need me to do anything? Does he need you? And the key word here is need you doesn't does he want you to be involved in what he's doing yes or no yes does he want me to be involved in what he's doing this changes everything i don't tell people about jesus because i need to i tell people about jesus because he wants me to and Jesus, has he done everything for you? Did he, hung on, did he hang on a cross and die for your sins? Do you want to please Jesus? Do you want to do what Jesus wants you to do? I, I do. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I wish I wanted it more. I wish I was more faithful to try to please God. 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen. real quickly, it says... But now God has set the members of each one of them in the body just as he pleased. God places people in a local church body. And he places them in a local church body to be a part of that local church body. So I, I want you to look on your, your bulletin this morning. There's a couple quotes before we get to the outline this morning that I want you to look at. First one there by James McDonald. The glory of Jesus Christ revealed is what should fuel the fire of a church. So 
our purpose in, in being obedient to Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations. The purpose in that ultimately is so that God would be glorified. And that's why we've made the statement as a church, we exist to glorify God. That's the primary purpose. We exist to glorify God. What do we view as the greatest way we can glorify God? By making disciples who make disciples. The glory of Jesus revealed is that is what should fuel the fire of a church. Let's look at the next quote. We can't claim to follow Jesus if we neglect the church he died for. The church he entrusted the mission to. My, my prayer for us as a church this year, one of my prayers for our church this year, is that we as church members would be more committed to Jesus' church. In, in our culture today, and I'm not just referencing Hallmark Baptist Church, in our culture today, the commitment to church is not what it used to be. I heard a statement the other day that, you know, several years back that what you would consider a faithful church member would, would give you three hours a week to church. Currently in our culture, what people consider to be a faithful member is that you would give three hours a month committed to your church. And that quote just seems heavy. We can't claim to follow Jesus if we neglect the church he died for. The church he entrusted his mission to. Is the church a big deal to Jesus? Yeah. So big that he, he died for the church. Skip the next one. I, I want you to look at the, the percentage there. It says two-thirds of the builder generation are Christians or claim to be Christian. So, you know, roughly 66%. 66% of people born before 1946 would claim to be a follower of Jesus or to claim to be a Christian. And, and this next statistic should should alarm you, it should burden you, it should sadden you, it should hurt you, 15% of millennials claim to be Christian. In, in one generation span, we went from 66% claiming to be Christian to 15% being Christian. What does that say? And you don't have to answer it. I want you to think through that. What does that say about the church as a whole? The next quote. I am suggesting that congregations across America are weak because many of us church, and again, I would say us church members, we have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. We join our churches expecting others to serve us, to feed us, and to care for us. And, and really, is that a consumer-minded church member or a committed-minded church member? Consumer, isn't it? 
Number one, here, here's what I want to challenge you with this morning, and, and we're going to challenge you again next week with three more commitments. These are three things I want you as a church member to commit to, to pray through. I'm a church member, number one. I will be a functioning church member. I will be a functioning church member. Last week, we made a commitment. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, that we were going we to read over that. We were going to pray over that. Many of you made a decision to fast. How, how many of you, um, I, know, I know we're not supposed to brag about it, but I just want to know, how many of you made a, a commitment last week that you were going to fast from something this next 21 days? How many of you made a commitment to that? All right, wow, look around. Keep your hand up for a second. There's a lot of us. It was an amazing, uh, I was humbled by your response. All right, you can put your hand down. Now, I made a commitment, and, and uh, I told someone this morning, don't talk to me because I'm, I'm, I'm grumpy right now. I don't like life right now. I made a commitment uh, last Monday, starting this 21 days, that I wasn't going to watch TV. I forgot the national championship was going to be on Monday night. And I just, I went to bed early and angry. And me and, me and the Lord had a talk. And I also committed that I would not drink coffee for 21 days. I'm a bitter old man right now. I'm just angry. Verse 20, Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now look on the screen. There's a, a different translation. I, I just read the New King James. And I love the one word that I've highlighted here that, that why I like this translation because of this one word. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power. Is God powerful? Yes or no? And he works with in us. Wrap your brain around that for a minute. God, who is able, through his mighty power, at work, within us, within us individually, and within us collectively, as believers, as a part of the body of Christ, to accomplish infinitely what? Say it with conviction. Infinitely what? More. Do you, do you want God to do more in you, through you, and for you this year? Do you want God to do more in us, through us, and for us as a church this year? Yes or no? Yes. Glory to Him in the church. In Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here's a statement. I, I want you to write this down if you are taking notes. We're, we're going to make these commitments because we want to become a healthy church. Okay, so here's the statement. The goal is not to have a healthy church so people see how good we are. The goal is not to have a healthy church so people see how good we are. It's so people will see how good God is. 
the, the goal of being healthy is not so people will see how good we are, but so that people will see how good God is. Is God good? Do you want other people to experience the goodness of God? I do. Number one, I will be a functioning church member. I will be a functioning church member. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We've got to hurry. We're running out of time. 1 Corinthians 12. I always say that, and then I just keep doing whatever I'm going to do, right? You guys ever heard people preach it like, uh, one last thought, and like 30 minutes later, you, you just want to punch them in the face? It's like, don't lie to me. Just keep preaching, but I think I just lied to you. All right, <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just did what I don't like. I'm honest. I'm honest when I lie to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many members. Skip down to verse number 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he is pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Necessary. In other words, let's break this down to this local body of Christ, this church. Is every member necessary, yes or no? Yes. Is every member supposed to have a function in the church, yes or no? Yes. Are we all valuable to the church, yes or no? Yes. And so the commitment here is, God, I want to find somewhere to be involved. I want to find somewhere to serve. I want to be a part. I want to be an active, functioning part of your church. And, and, and I'm, I'm going a little easy on you this morning, maybe, maybe because of for sake of time. But let me just real quickly give you the definition that Tom uh, Rayner gives in this book about what a, a functioning church member is. And we're not going to have a long time to camp out of this. But he says this. How, what is the definition of a functioning church member? It's a member who gives abundantly and serves without hesitation. Who gives abundantly and serves without hesitation. So what I, I want you to wrestle with, are you a functioning church member? And again, we're not going to get into great detail into this, but let's just hold to that definition for sake of argument this morning. The question is, am I a functioning church member? By his definition, which I believe is a biblical definition, is am I going to give abundantly, generously, graciously? God loves a cheerful giver. And am I going to serve without hesitation? And, and so you wrestle with that. Would you classify yourself as a functioning church member? And if not... Why not? Let's, let's fix it, right? Number two, I will be a unifying 
church member. I will be a unifying church member. And if you were in Connect Group this morning, uh, you heard a great lesson that David uh, talked about. He's in the next two weeks in your Connect Groups, you're walking through our membership covenant. We uh, Almost every month, we have a three-week class in my office that meets that we go through our uh, Discover Hallmark package that goes through what we believe and our doctrines. And then we also ask each person that's going to be a member of this church to sign that membership covenant. And so we've thought the next two weeks we're going to go through that in our Connect Groups in Sunday School. And so if you didn't come this week, I encourage you to come next week and be a part of that. But one of them is, was talking about this. I'll be a unifying church member. John 13, 35, when Jesus was speaking, and he was speaking about uh, believers. So we speak about really in the context of us as a church. He said this, by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we want to be unifying, and we unify through what? Loving one another. Let me ask you a real difficult question. Is everyone lovable? Not if they're not watching TV and drinking coffee. They're not lovable, right? So let's, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, one time to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 13, especially in verse 4 and 5, talks about what the definition of love. And uh, oftentimes I read that in the context of a wedding, right? So uh, love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, love endures, love never fails, right? And what a great verse to read at the, the wedding ceremony. It's like it's not prideful, it doesn't boast, it's not selfish, it's not self-centered. And, and then you read the definition, you're like, wow, I can't live up to that definition. And, and the reality is, in the context, it's not really for the marriage, which it's okay to apply that to that. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, we just read, was talking about the body of Christ. We're all to be in church together, working together, serving together, in unity together, through what? Loving one another. So I encourage you, read 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter. But keep in mind, the context really is about the church. Uh, Dave, on Wednesday night, started a new series in Colossians. I'd encourage you... If you weren't here this Wednesday night, come next Wednesday night at 6.30 in the chapel. Uh, Dave's preaching a series in Colossians, and he read this verse, Colossians 1, 3 through 4. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Again, a context of the church. And Paul says, here's why we give thanks for you in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, because you've surrendered your life, you're a believer, and we thank God that you've given your life to Christ, and of your love for some of the people in the church. Is that, what, is that what it says on the screen, verse 4? What's the key word I, I messed up there? All. And all means, yeah, even the guy who hasn't had coffee or TV, I'm like jittery right now. Is it hard to love everyone, yes or no? Is it hard to love yourself sometimes? <laughs> yeah. We want to be a unifying church member by loving one another. And when people look from the outside in and see Hallmark Baptist Church, what Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Even when we're not lovable, 
Let's skip to number three. I'm skipping. It doesn't matter to you, but I'm skipping something. I'm trying to keep my promise. I really am. Number three. I will be a functioning church member. I will be a unifying church member. And number three, I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. That's hard. I don't even like to read it. I'll be honest with you. Because I'll, I'll be honest. I want church to be about what I want. Can I get an amen? Don't lie. Can I get an amen? We're all human. We all want what we want because we want it. Right? I want the burger without ketchup and onions. And I want church this way or that way and not that way. You, you, we can all agree, right? But is church about my desires and my preferences? Yes or no? No. Is it about your desires and your preferences? Yes or no? No. Who are we really trying to please here? God. We need to walk away from this morning. And Ben, when he walks off this stage, his, I, I, I think I'm speaking from his goal is not for you to say, that was awesome music today. His goal is when, you, when he walks off this stage that you would say, we serve an awesome God today. And when I walk off this stage, now don't get me wrong, Ben would like you to hear, that was great music today, that was awesome today, but the reason it was awesome was because it pointed me to Jesus. And when I walk off this stage and you greet me in the back and, and, and you say, that was a great message today, that's awesome but it's not a great message unless God says it's a great message. Unless it points people to Jesus, unless it points us to a, a deeper commitment to God and pursuit of holiness and the pursuit of Christ, then what's the point of being up here, right? And it's the same for every one of you that sit in the pew. We don't want to walk away from Hallmark and say, man, what a great service. The music was awesome. It was exactly the four songs I wanted. Well, the one I didn't like as much as the other three the message, it didn't step on my toes today. It was a great day to be in the house of the Lord today. Or we want to walk away from this building and say, we serve an awesome God, and I can't wait to come back next week to tell people about the conversations I had this week about people in my work that I told them Jesus loves them. And if I don't walk out of the doors with, with some kind of encouragement to live greater for God, then, then this, whatever we're doing here, it's not really worth anything, is it? And I don't want church to be about me. I want it to be about Him. I don't want to be about my desires. And, and Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Turn there real quick. Now I'm back to lying to you. We're not so quick. Verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But He made Himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant. A bond servant is a slave who has chosen to be a slave. Coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. My example of how I humble myself and serve others is no one else but Jesus. And how much does God want me to humble myself to serve others to the same degree that Jesus humbled himself and served others? I'm dying to my desires and my needs and my preferences and my wants. And God, I want to serve you. 
You are who I'm serving. Here's a, a quick question that I want you to think about. Why did Jesus choose to humble himself? We just read in Philippians chapter 3, he humbled himself, came obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Why did Jesus choose to humble himself to be a sacrifice? And here's the, the real quick, easy answer. He loved you so much that he humbled himself so that you could have salvation. Do you grasp that this morning? The Bible says that the that all of us have sinned, Romans 3.23. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Why did Jesus humble himself and become obedient to death, even the death on the cross, it's because he loved you and he wanted you to have salvation. Are you thankful for that? And I would say this morning, that it's very clear this morning, that if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, Romans ten thirteen says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can have a restored relationship with God, your creator. You can have a home in heaven. You can escape the penalty of sin, which is a place called hell, a place of torment, that you will spend an eternity paying for your sins when Jesus already paid for them. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to have an opportunity of worship. And I want to challenge you this morning with everything that I can. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you're just not sure you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ, when we stand in a minute, I'm going to ask you to come forward. There's going to be people standing here and they're going to be facing you. If you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ, when we stand in a moment, you, you walk down here. And I'm going to stand right down here in the middle. If you want to talk to me about it, I would love to talk to you about it. Ask someone that's standing here facing you, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. A second question. The first one, why did Jesus humble himself so that we could have salvation? So in the context of church that we're talking about, that I want to be a church member that's not consumer church guy, I want to be committed church guy. The question is this, why should I humble myself. You know what the answer is? So that people can have salvation. Why did Jesus humble himself? So that I could have salvation. Why does Jesus want me to humble myself? So that others can have salvation. It's an alarming statistic. 66% of the builder generation claim to be Christians. 15% of the millennial generation claim to be Christian. Maybe we need to humble ourselves and seek God's face. And God's, I want to be a church member that's willing to humble myself so that someone could have salvation. Isn't that what you want to be? Yes, I'm going to ask you in a minute when we stand. Maybe you've been the committed Christian, and I, and I thank you for that. And if that's you this morning, 
then I would encourage you this morning to come forward and pray for those of us who haven't been such committed Christians. But maybe this morning, God has revealed to you, you've let that little bit of that consumer mind get in there. And I would encourage you this morning to come down and seek God. God, I want to be about the lost. I want to willingly humble myself so that someone could hear the gospel. That's the most important thing. God, I come before you this morning. And Lord, I confess in my own life at times when, when things become about me instead of you. So Lord, I, I ask for forgiveness. And I ask you to, Lord, continue to, to convict me of those moments, those days, those months maybe that I, I've taken control and it becomes about me, my preferences, my desires. God, may Hallmark Baptist Church be a church that is filled with functioning, unifying, selfless church members. If there's somebody here this morning, Lord, that's never given their life to you, I pray in a moment when we stand, you would give them the bold, the boldness and the courage to take that step and to ask someone, I need to give my life to Jesus. Would you stand this morning and I'm going to ask you as we worship together, simple song. You've heard a, a thousand times if you grew up in church. But let's mean it today. Let's seek God today as a church. Let's pray with Him today. Let's, let's pursue Him today. Let's surrender. Let's humble ourselves as we sing this morning.